<laughs> Before we uh, wrap up, I did have a few little things I had prepared that were more for last week that, you know, probably would be useful in the end. If, if we don't like them, we could just cut them. But uh, it's, yeah, basically, it's basically some, some really entry level because I, I do like to keep in mind we are kind of one of those podcasts that are a little bit more entry level friendly for leftists. And I, I kind of prepared something a little bit with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a few differences and similarities between fascism and anti-fascism. And at the end of the day, fascism is a far-right ideology, while anti-fascism not only can be characterized as far-left, it can also be, exist within any non-far-right ideology. I, I think I said this last time, it could be far-right versus basically everything else. Fascism is... Ultranationalist in nature, which means its goals are those of a minority within a single country, while anti-fascism tends to have goals that are majority-driven and the goals of people around the entire world in a lot of cases, i.e. small minority within a single country versus the actual goals and objectives of, of the entire world in some cases. Uh, fascism aims to determine specific rights and wrongs, truth and lies, rules and laws, etc., and requires a country and or the entire world to adhere to all of this. Whereas anti-fascism tends to desire growth and learning towards what the majority of the people of a country or the world considers right and wrong, etc., uh, while also remaining flexible to the reality that we exist in an ever-changing world. What we consider right and wrong today very well, we may evolve to, to see in a different light down the road in the future. Fascism tends to have specific regimens. Regiments? That word. <laughs> and militant groups, while anti-fascism tends to not have such a central governance or specific leadership. Whereas these militant groups can certainly be formed and arise from anti-fascist movements, but it's not typically an integral part of the actual anti-fascist movement itself. As with fascism, you know, i.e. the Proud Boys are a specific fascist group with central leadership and ranking levels, while Antifa is not a specific organization. Antifa is simply the rebuttal to a fascist organization, such as the Gadsden Don't Tread on Me flag is the rebuttal to overreaching governments. Antifa is is just that statement against fascism. Um, I also wanted to just highlight a few similarities between fascism and anti-fascism. They're very short. How dare uh, anti-fascism, you? right... <laughs> anti-fascism like fascism and i think this is important that leftists recognize this maybe not so much liberals but anti-fascism like fascism is willing to use violence to accomplish political economical and social goals based i know let's let that marinate for a second that's the problem with a bunch of leftists is we're just all like, nah, man, you, you do you, dog. <laughs> Way too easy going. This is why we're not storming capitals. We sit around, we sit around going, nah, you know what? It's cool, man. We'll figure it out. <laughs>
communists are amazing. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Turn Loves of Podcast. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Sterling, Cosper, Ward, and Jaron. And again, we have with us a special guest from the Dixieland of the Proletariat Podcast. We have Nelson and Tommy. So we're going to address part two of why Antifa are not the real fascists. And uh, let me just start with just some remarks I have prepared here. So I just want to make it clear. We sort of addressed it a little bit last week, and then we ended up talking more about the party switch than anything. But I did want to talk about just the historic legacy of liberals and how they are closer to fascism than leftism. And just make it clear that they will embrace fascism far sooner than they would embrace communism or anti-fascism. And the reason for this is because they endorse capitalism. And liberals at their core believe that capitalism can be reformed rather than moved past, which is the difference mainly between liberals and leftists, I would say, is that leftists, we know that capitalism cannot be reformed. There are contradictions that prevent it from being reformed, leading to the conditions that we're seeing now. Much fatter cocks, too. Yes, definitely. <laughs> that is the important <laughs> distinction. <laughs> so this position that liberals have has always been a murderous position to take. You understand the death toll of capitalism if you stop buying into the propaganda of commies killed billions and communism fails every time it's tried and Stalin and Mao killed everybody on the planet. You understand that capitalism has a far <laughs> higher death toll and continues to have a far greater death toll every year. That's just the basis of how it works. Capitalism cannot be maintained without the suffering and death of workers. And the longer it goes on and the rate of profit continues to fall, which it has, Marx was right about that, the more force is needed to keep it in place. And this is the role of fascism. That's where it comes in. It's not a coherent ideology, and it is a temporary state that emerges when capitalism is in crisis. And that's inevitable because of the unsustainable nature of capitalism and the contradictions inherent to it. This is why fascism is so fluid and hard to even identify, much less combat. It co-ops rhetoric from other ideologies. And while we on the left have consistent principles and we're open about them, fascists can and do maneuver and lie about their beliefs, their goals, and how they intend to implement them. That's kind of par for the course of what they do. So I did have this little snippet from Non-Competes blog. He's got a YouTube channel and a blog, and he had a really good entry on fascism and liberals' role in their complicity with it. It's actually his first entry on his blog called History 375 about a course that he took in college. It's specifically about the rise of fascism in Europe. So he says here, quote, It was the liberals, socialist Democrats, centrists, class welfare state advocates, who truly paved the way for Hitler to seize power. These middle-class liberals were comfortable. They wanted law and order. They despised Nazis. They hated Hitler. They laughed at him and saw him as a joke. But they truly feared leftism. Communism was a threat to their comfort, to their positions within German capitalist power structures. So when the brown shirts showed up at communist gatherings and broke a few skulls, the liberals were, of course, appalled. They wrote long newspaper articles about how violence is abhorrent and both sides, the left and the right, need to use reason and discourse to solve their problems. When Hitler seized power, liberals saw this as a short-term expedient. Quote, let Hitler have his fun in the Reichstag. Let him strut around with his uniforms and rough up a few Jews. In the end, he'll suss out the Bolshevism, and then we can quietly take back power and resume our comfortable lives. But it didn't work out that way, as we all know. As Hitler's star rose, he kept the capitalist liberals at heel by throwing them government contracts, organizing labor into people's communities that put workers in line and restricted strikes and labor disputes. He used nationalism to keep the working class suppressed. And of course, all those Jewish businesses, positions, contracts, and the like became vacant and were handy little trinkets to distribute in order to curry favor with the liberals who might otherwise resist the Reich. The dirty truth, which I understood in a limited manner as a right-wing libertarian in my wayward youth, is that the middle-class liberals are wont to become lapdogs to fascists and reactionaries. But there was a key misunderstanding I had back in those days. I thought that liberals were stupid and gullible. If I were in my 20s today, I might have called them cucks. But now, as someone who has spent a few years as a centrist liberal myself, I know the truth more fully. The fact is that centrist liberals are cloistered. They're numb to the suffering of oppressed peoples. Their comfort and privilege wall them off from anything resembling class struggle, racial oppression, the violence of everyday life for someone who is oppressed under capitalist reactionary regimes, 
Liberals aren't stupid, but they are insulated. They never experience violence themselves, so when they witness it in any form, they decry it as unnecessary and crass and vulgar and barbarian. They don't know what it's like to have to fight to live simply because of the circumstances of their birth. Fascists understand the power of violence. They realize that the middle class revulsion to violence is itself a weapon. By instigating shocking, violent street fights, they know they can shock liberals and centrists into yielding authoritarian power to a fascist regime. Anything to stop the violence. Round them up, throw them in camps, do what needs to be done, just stop this violence so we can go back to our comfortable, secluded lives. And he even included a picture of Rosa Luxemburg, who was killed by the Social Democrats in 1919 for opposing capitalism. You can hear all of that that I just read and feel on a visceral level the eerie similarities to what we have experienced the last four years. I mean, that just nails it. So much of what he said there is exactly like what we have been experiencing. Yeah, I just wanted to echo how good that one particular line was that liberals are insulated. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a, a great picture of, of exactly what liberals are. Yeah, I mean, that was really, I was looking around for some passages to explain the liberal fascism connection, and that was probably one of the best that I found in my searches. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, when we do look at the founding of liberal democracy in the West, we tend to think of the French Revolution, and a lot of uh, what would become leftist commentators and philosophers even viewed that revolution as one of the bourgeoisie, because even though they did get rid of the monarchy, they're still retaining property rights. They're still retaining all of these things that are the insulating factors that you're referring to. And you can even see that today when you know liberals are condemning the violence on the left and equating it to the violence on the right. It's like they almost have forgotten that like even in the civil rights era with Martin Luther King, the Civil Rights Act wasn't passed until he was assassinated and there were riots that totaled like $30 million in today's money. And they had no intention of passing that until people literally got on the streets and started breaking shit, but they were breaking shit for a good reason. Yeah. And even now, I'm still seeing people on the right act as if BLM and Antifa are the bad guys and still pulling out the billion dollars and peaceful damages line. That's what they are trotting out is that rhetoric that BLM and Antifa are these thugs who just weren't actually peacefully protesting and then instigated by the police who overwhelmingly responded with violence themselves. They make it seem as if these people were violent to begin with. And that is fascist rhetoric. Like when you demonize anti-fascists as the people who are causing the trouble, you are doing fascism. It seems obvious to me, but the fact that that's still such a huge talking point in our country feels like, you know, we still need to have this conversation. I just wanted to get through that passage. That's like my main point that I wanted to bring tonight. I guess the only thing I would tag onto it is that liberalism itself is closer to fascism than to anti-fascism because both have a lot of things in common where they value property rights over human life, protection by the state of those property rights and protection of capital through the state apparatuses. So, I mean, just at the core, they do have a lot in common. Absolutely. I saw that you had something, uh, Nelson. No, I remember being in class and everyone in Southern politics was talking about like, oh, violence is never the answer, et cetera, whatnot. And like liberals have this like fetish with peaceful protest, right? But then like I was the only one just like, hey, y'all, like behind every single like peaceful movement, right, is the threat of violence for like a just cause. Like just thinking about that more, I was like, go back to like what Malcolm X said in 64, like the battle of the bullet. So like Basically, what, what I get from that is it's like, if you don't recognize us as first class citizens and give us the right to vote and keep denying us this and keep killing us, et cetera, that what comes next is violence. And people don't realize that like just four years before in South Africa at Sharpsville, like you had the massacre of peaceful protesters just trying to say, hey, you know, we want to be considered citizens. We don't want to have these passes that have to move freely around the country. We want to be able to vote and apartheid, et cetera. And the police just opened fire and massacred and killed about 30 or so peaceful protesters. So like that's fresh in everyone's mind coming into 64. And there's a great line that Malcolm X said when he came down to Selma 
Dr. King had just been arrested and thrown into Dallas County Jail. When the, I forgot his name, it was notorious uh, Dallas County Sheriff that was he was known for killing protesters and like basically you went to his jail, you weren't going to come out. And uh, someone asked like Malcolm, why did you come down here? It's like I just wanted to show white people the alternative. You know, I'm ready to move down here and start this. And it's like I want to show you what would happen if nonviolence failed. And so like Dr. King was like released from jail like the next day mm-hmm. because that threat of violence justifiable violence is there behind every peaceful movement. And so like when nonviolence fails, like violent revolution is going to happen. This liberals like fetish with nonviolence is just complete bullshit. It goes to protect the state and it goes to protect the status quo and it goes to protect fascists in the long run. Yeah. I think piggybacking off of that too is, is we need to understand that violence isn't necessarily just people getting punched or shot or kicked or, you know, hit with a bat. And that's something that liberals miss out on is like the state is perpetually violent. It's violent to people by not offering them health care. It's violent to them by not offering them housing. It's violent to them by taxing them beyond their means. It's violent to them in a myriad of systemic ways that, let's not lie, it, it is more constant and arguably more detrimental than, you know, stints of protesters and police fighting. And that that's part of the liberal insulation as well, is we have to think that, like, they don't experience this systemic violence on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So therefore, they can't understand that every single day is an assault upon an individual. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, if you are living in squalor, if you're living in poverty and you can't afford or just don't even have the means to be able to afford what you need to survive on a day-to-day basis, that is violence because that is created by the systemic conditions that you live in, that is enforced by the state, and that is violence that is being done to you on a daily basis that just gets ignored by anyone who is not experiencing that. I'm just reiterating what you said, but yeah, I mean, that's actually a good talking point that I hear on Citations Needed, which is a great podcast for just interpreting media and dissecting the bias that's in media. That's something they talk about a lot is they'll say violence breaks out after police murder an unarmed man as if police murdering an unarmed man wasn't violence itself. Uh, that's just a, a really cute framing that you see in media a lot. Yeah, I mean, liberals definitely are, to use that line again, insulated from happenings and actually going on in the world. You know, you bring up Obama and drone strikes every time and they're just like, oh, you know, as if it completely they can't comprehend what it's actually like to live in a country where you very well may be standing next to your mother and just watch her be obliterated next to a coffee shop. Yeah, I mean, you want a hot take? Try telling a liberal that Bush was worse than Trump. Just watch their heads explode. But I legit believe that. Like, I'm still angry about the Iraq war. I'm still angry about the million dead Iraqis that did nothing to deserve their fate. But Trump didn't kill that many people. He just was mean and nasty and rude on on Twitter. What you got, Nelson? I'm having flashbacks to, like, when I said that on Twitter one time and got, like, destroyed by the blue wave, blue check. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like, like the blue wave donut hole crowd. I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. Trump is bad, but, like, Bush has actual bodies. Yeah, And like they just listed all these examples of like Trump and I'm just like, yo, a million dead, displaced, injured Iraqis destroyed an entire country over a lie. Then you have like Katrina, Enron, like all the things that people forget. And I don't blame like Zoomers for forgetting about it because they weren't even like born yet, most of them. But like I just distinctly remember coming of age during the Bush administration being like, this dude is fucking insane and evil. And the people around him are evil. Your California liberal just does not know what it's like to experience Katrina. 
And they sure as hell don't know what it's like to experience life in Iraq. That is the big difference. Leftists, we try to educate ourselves and we try to put, you know, maybe not put ourselves in their shoes. Obviously, there's no way to possibly grasp the actual weight and condition it is to live in one of these countries during that kind of event. But we try our best to understand it and sympathize and remember that our struggle, the struggle of the proletariat is not only in our country. Yeah, if you're not anti-imperialist, you are not a leftist, plain and simple. Like you can call yourself a socialist or whatever, but if your only goal is to just get free healthcare and you don't care about where the spoils of your empire are coming from, you don't care that, you know, all this wealth that you're enjoying is built on the suffering of people in the global south, then you're not a principled leftist. Like you're just selfish. You're just basing your politics off of pure self-interest and you're really no better than the right. Every couple of weeks, I'll like see something in the news where I'm like, oh, my fucking God, liberals. The one that I saw recently is like it was two articles back to back next to each other. I was like, wow, this was tailored for me. But it was about like everyone's going to have an electric car by 2030. And then right under that is this coup in Bolivia. And then right under that is Elon Musk saying we coup whoever we want. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like all these liberals are applauding. We're like, oh, we get electric cars. And I'm like at the expense of the third world again. And you don't give a fuck. In fact, beyond not giving a fuck, you're applauding it. Yeah. And then this motherfucker just got crowned like the richest guy in the world today yep. or yesterday or something like that. Yes. And, you know, just crickets. The only people that are looking at it and saying this is fucked up are leftists. Yeah. I saw that today and I was blown away. Like, I had no idea that was even I thought he was way behind Bezos. Yeah. Well, COVID, you know, has worked out very nice for him. <laughs> See, but that's just the thing is like th that liberals are the vanguard for that kind of behavior, which has the ability to mutate into fascism. And then as far as anyone who's actually trying to combat fascism, there's like the visceral front where, yeah, you know, we're going toe to toe with them in the streets. But then as far as like combating liberalism, that's a whole other beast because they think that they're us, but they're not. As long as it's politically correct. Right. Them. All right. So let's get into the Haymarket affair. Did we decide that, Jaron, you're taking the lead on that one? Oh, Tommy. Tommy all the way, man. Okay, cool. <laughs> all right, all right. Unless you want me to. I don't, I don't give a shit. No, nah, I mean, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I know enough about it. I watched a couple Prager U videos, so I feel like <laughs> oh, then you're good. Oh, expert. Okay, let's set up the scene. Uh, so, so basically, this is just after uh, slavery abolition and... The railroads are just coming in, uh, and this really affects uh, wages across the land for the working people. Like it cuts about forty percent across the board. So people at this time are desperate, hungry, you know, trying to trying to make money, and and a lot of people are rising up in the political world and the socialist world, and and anarchy is becoming big. People are writing articles and pamphlets about how uh, capitalism is bad, and people are jumping on board. Uh, labor unions are coming into effect. You know, people are joining up. That all sounds uh, based as fuck. Like, let's do that again, <laughs> shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's this guy, Albert Parsons. So he, um, he fought the Civil War on the side of the South. He fought to keep slaves. You know, he, he loved slaves. Then he felt really bad about it for some reason. He was like, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. And, um, <laughs> what could the reason he, be? <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. But um, yeah, apparently he had a, he had a black nanny. You know, you know, the mamies of the world, you know, you know, yeah. you know. but uh, he, had a black, <laughs> he had a black nanny and um, all of a sudden he, it got personal. Yeah, yeah. It got personal for him. It, he, he apparently it said he, that he went and apologized to her for it. He felt really bad. This was he lived in Texas. He met a 
mixed race uh, lady named Lucy. They got married. You know, they were in Texas. They're like, you know, this can't happen here. So they they went up to uh, Chicago. You know, they say once you go black, you know, you become a socialist. So he became a socialist, and mm-hmm. he um, he started working for the Chicago Times. Yeah, not the Tribune, which we'll talk about that later. But he he worked for the Chicago Times. Uh, wrote socialist articles and whatnot. And somewhere around the other, he got fired. And then he was escorted, the day he got fired, he was escorted to a, by the police to a meeting with the police chief and the Board of Trade. And they were basically cross-examining him, you know, asking what he was doing there, you know, where, where you come from, boy? Where you, where you doing now, yo? And so, um, except they're in Chicago, so it didn't sound anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's still how I'd hear it. <laughs> and... And I heard, got, that, I heard he got fired because he pulled out his dick on a webcam meeting. Yes, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that is exactly what happened. In there. Look, he, he didn't know it was on. He was Jeffrey Tubin before it was cool. <laughs> so, um, so it said that the police chief uh, said to him as they were like dragging him out of there that, you know, it was like, hey, man, they're going to hang you. And he was like, who's going to hang me? He's like, the board of trade. Like, they're going to hang you. So, you know, they dragged him out, threatened to shoot him. They're like, get out of here. And then he turned his back on socialism and became an anarchist. Hmm. He had these other figures around the time. I don't know if you, uh, Jaron, I don't know if you know um, much about August Speeds, if you want to talk about August Speeds. Yeah, sure. So he, he was, I think something that's really important to think about with Haymarket, just to preface, is, you know, even though this was an emergence of a lot of solid anarchist theory, they were working very closely in tandem with socialists and communists. Um, because all of these ideologies were emerging, playing off of each other, and fighting capitalism at the same time. So regardless of what infighting we see today online, back then, they were very, very into mutual support, and that's why they were such a threat. So like for August Spies, he was a former, I believe, German or Bavarian uh, aristocrat, born into an aristocratic family, came to the U.S., lost basically everything because of the Chicago fire and the Long Depression, which was an economic recession at the time, and had to you know, get back into the workforce and realized exactly how shitty it was. And he ran uh, a paper um, that I believe was a partner to the alarm, which is something that Albert Parsons ran along with his wife, Lucy, I'm pretty sure. But at the same time, I think August... I'm not going to ruin the end of the story here, but August eventually ended up in court. And he has, I won't bore you with it because it's too long, but his transcript of his defense from the actions we're going to talk about here in a minute are just so chilling and just on point about not only the vices of capital, but the vices of authority in our society being controlled by capital. He really makes that connection of like our judicial system is at the beck and call of capital and not actually justice. And that's honestly one of the formative literatures that made me feel as though anarchy was what I wanted to embrace. Interesting. Yeah, you don't really hear so much about the socialist to anarchist pipeline. Usually people go in the other direction, but that's interesting. I never even uh, heard of that kind of thing. Yeah, there was a lot more working close together uh, back then than you would see now. I mean, a lot of what I see on Instagram and Twitter and shit is you know, tankies versus anarchists, which yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it a little bit. Yeah, but. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> anyway, Tommy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
So, yeah, yeah. Like you were saying, um, it wasn't just the anarchists. Uh, you know, they teamed up with, you know, the socialists, the communists and everyone in between all the working party. And they set up this march down Prairie Avenue. Ooh, and Prairie Avenue is like, you know, the Beverly Hills of Chicago. You know, it's like very ritzy. That's where the factory owners live. These people have the deeds. Okay. okay. This is where the deeds are. Okay. So they march up to this guy, this guy's house, uh, knock on his door. His name is George Pullman. You know, they have some words, whatever. And um, Pullman, after all of this, he, he's so upset that these poor people came up to his house. He ordered the police to to arrest and, and get he, he said, you got to do something about these crowds. Like you got to you got to get them out of here. Like they're, they're messing with my stuff. I just want to be rich and left alone. So so just so you guys understand, these guys are mostly German. They didn't speak a lot of English. They were Catholic. You know, they they drank on Sundays. You know, they were, they were horrible. They were horrible. They didn't fit into that Christian Baptist lifestyle. You know, that Protestant living. Okay, so May 1st, uh, they team up with uh, other labor unions and they strike. They go, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the McCormick factory. Okay, so here we are, the McCormick factory. These iron workers, their, their labor was starting to be automated. That pushed out a lot of jobs. They, you know, they got rid of a lot of people. And they, they were left without work. And so they went on strike. But this guy, McCormick, who was a piece of shit, like his last words were like, work, work, work. He, he immediately hired scabs. And so the scabs came into work. And while the strike team, they were outside on strike. And when it was time to let out, strikers started fighting with the scabs. And then the police got involved to protect the scabs. You know, they have to protect the, the means of the wealthy. You know, you got to keep them safe. Okay, keep them safe. So apparently they ended up shooting two strike workers and, you know, shit went down from there. Parsons wrote about this. Uh, he wrote a letter. He had a letter drafted and apparently he sent it off to his editor and he's like, put whatever title you want on it. And the title said revenge. And that wasn't good. And apparently that wasn't Parsons intentions either. But by the way, that wasn't good. Wasn't read well. Jaron, do you mind taking over? Not at all. Yeah. So one of the things that was occurring, too, is keep in mind we're in an economic downturn. And a lot of times what happens is people are so desperate for a job in such a situation that whoever's in control of the factories, the capitalists per se, the company owners, that gives them license to treat their workers even shittier because everyone needs a job, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So to defend themselves from the, the strikers too, not only were there police, but there were the Pinkertons, which we mentioned last episode a little bit, which were essentially private company hired thugs that they let infiltrate activist groups and just stir up shit to make them look terrible, which should sound familiar to everybody. But anyway, here's where it kind of gets, in my opinion, to why this relates to Antifa is the day after, just summarizing, was the Haymarket Affair, where not only were they protesting for workers' rights, August Spees and uh, Albert Parsons and a bunch of other organizers and workers, but they were also protesting regarding police brutality. Anyway, fast forward. It's 10 p.m. Police want them to disperse and somebody throws a bomb. Somebody throws some dynamite. It kills seven people, wounds like 40 other people. Jesus. And even though there was absolutely no evidence whatsoever to connect this to the strikers or the activists or anybody, August and Albert were hung along with five other people. And the media unilaterally blamed leftists, specifically anarchists, but also communists and socialists. Remember, there is no evidence that this wasn't Pinkertons. There's no evidence this wasn't cops. Shocking. Sterling, y'all good? Yeah. About what year was this again? 
1886. Yeah. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. And, you know, the end result was the permanent branding of bombs and Molotov cocktails and shit to anarchists, leftists, communists, socialists. And of course, this got reinforced in the Cold War era. So, you know, when we when we see like the Antifa model being like, oh, they burn down property. That comes from, in my opinion, this seminal event when all of these ideologies were kind of new and specifically Haymarket, where they branded all of these people for these violent actions that any connection they have is, you know, hypothetical at best. And the, the media never supports the actual causes. They only make sure to illustrate the violence. And that's exactly what they're going to do with this Capitol thing, too. And obviously, I don't agree with what the fuck the right was doing in this recent event where they stormed the Capitol in D.C. But what's going to happen is they're going to just keep pushing it and they're going to write new laws and basically make it where no one can even, you know, gather around these uh, government buildings and, and just use it to demonize the left even though we weren't even there. Yeah. Yeah. Tommy is so on point, too, to set this up with the setting here, because after the Long Depression started, there's the Chicago fire, there's the Long Depression. We have to see the setting for what it is. There were so many incidents of just bread riots where people were trying to get food at government food kitchens, and the police would come in and whoop their asses with batons just for, you know, being impatient because they're hungry. Yeah. Their main chance were bread or pay. Like... <laughs> That's, yep. that's all I wanted, bread or pay. Mike, did you have something? I did just want to say real quick, that kind of goes back to what we touched on last week about liberals confusing any kind of terms because they have no understanding of ideology or even just political theory as it goes. I've seen a lot of people calling the Trumpers who raided the Capitol anarchists <laughs> because, again, just like they equate Hitler with Stalin, they equate all oh, authoritarianism as if it's bad. Ugh. They just don't have any understanding of these terms. So everybody who does anything is an anarchist. If you raid the Capitol, that's exactly the same as if you try to fight for better wages for workers and, you know, do mutual aid to help homeless people in your community. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all just anarchy. Yep. Yeah. Their definition of anarchy is shit is on fire and people are looting buildings. And that is exactly what anarchy is. Anarchy yeah, means no rules. Right? interchangeable with socialists. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. You know? And communism is just when the government does stuff. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, it's when the government does a lot of stuff. Socialism is when the government does stuff. <laughs> God damn it. I still love Richard Wolf, even though he does say some of the most ridiculous shit sometimes. Roads <laughs> are socialist, guys. Roads. <laughs> Fucking roads. The military socialist. The CIA is socialist. Did you guys know that? Oh, fuck so Oh. oh, hell, brother. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, all, all that is to say, and I'm, I really am glad that we got to talk about it, is I think there are some like historical events that, that set up how left you know, activism is perceived. And people are still capitalizing off of this shit, where if you actually look at the real historical canon, even according to the FBI, the biggest threat to America is racist, white, right-wing militias. Consistently, that is always the group that is putting average people in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. That's a weird way to say Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so does that wrap up the Haymarket Affair? Do we have anything else that we wanted to touch on with that? No. Cool. I think that's all that we have for the notes. Did you guys want to start moving into current events then? Down for whatever. Yeah, I'm good. 
one other story, if you guys want to do it, that has to do with current events. It is the Wilmington Insurrection. Yeah, why don't you do that real quick then? Which is a damn good one. All right, I'll just read what I have here. I wrote it up really quickly, but I figured it was pertinent because, you know, it's so weird that we started these Antifa episodes right as the Capitol is, quote unquote, taken over by, I guess, a right wing militia. Antifa in disguise, bro. Come on, get it right. Right, right. The guy in the raccoon suit was definitely (laughs) one of my friends. Um, (laughs) Okay, so basically... On Thursday, November 10th, 1898, the first recognized coup d'etat in the United States occurred. This occurrence was carried out by a coalition of white supremacists, the Red Shirts, who were the Reconstruction-era paramilitary groups, and the Ku Klux Klan. Essentially, the local government of Wilmington, North Carolina, had democratically elected what was called a fusionist government. At the time, fusionists referred to primarily free black Republicans and the Populist Party, who was known as the quote-unquote left-wing agrarian party. So they were a little bit more left-wing than, let's say, the Dixiecrats, who we talked about last time. Um, The further implications of these elections in Wilmington were that the state Supreme Court became non-Democrat, and there were new state delegations to National Congress. Remember, this was before the Dixiecrats more or less became the Democratic Party. So naturally, the establishment racists present in this time period were not happy to see this upheaval of the status quo. This had compounded on the recent influx of Black Americans who had begun to constitute a significant amount of the Wilmington populace after the Civil War. So it would be that a former congressman, Alfred M. Waddell, 500 local businessmen and veterans and racist militias laid siege to Wilmington, destroying its Black-owned newspaper, killing between 60 and 300 Black people. Census counts were not as accurate back then, uh, so we're not sure exactly how many, and caused a massive displacement of families that resulted in homelessness. Many of them froze with witnesses describing, quote unquote, woods filled with bodies outside the city. Jesus Christ. Despite these atrocities and the blatant disregard for democratic process, the coup actually worked. The elected leaders were displaced and replaced by Dixiecrat officials which led to black disenfranchisement for the next 100 years. For an entire century, no black person held a political seat in Wilmington. Wow. There is also significant reason to believe that local police not only stood aside, but were well aware of the intentions of Waddle, the Red Shirts, and the Klan. Finally, it took years for the narrative to become clean. Initially, the papers and media said that blacks had started the conflict and escalated a peaceful protest. Since then, historical documents have contradicted these assertions entirely. So looking at this to me, this attempted coup yesterday, which is what it was, it kind of harkens to this story a lot, especially watching the police more or less stand down. Somebody was complicit. I'm, yeah. I'm certain of it. No, definitely. I mean, no, they were they, taking selfies with these rioters. There's video of them opening the gates for them. Opening the barricades. Yep. Yeah, people have to understand that majority of the police voted for Trump and are 84%. 84% of police voted for Trump, which is odd because, you know, traditionally you're supposed to think of police as voting Democrat because of support for unions. And that is typically what is considered the common knowledge. Like, I, I don't think that that really happens. I have a feeling that police tend to lean Republican just because they tend to be racist as well. But yeah, I mean, this past election, 84% of them voted for Trump. So we know exactly where their their hearts lie. What's up, Nelson? So just to piggyback, since you guys are talking about Wilmington, is a really good book. It's a North Carolina Press. Yeah, University of North Carolina Press. It's called Democracy Betrayed, the Wilmington Race Riot of 1898 and its legacy. Like, it's really good. Why should you probably do an episode like fully in-depth on this? Because it's something that's been lost to history. Like Everyone was talking about the Tulsa Race Riots. 
yeah. people know Rosewood from that fairly not really historically accurate movie. But Wilmington is, like you said, a coup d'etat that happened in the United States and the federal government didn't do jack shit about it. Like there was one in New Orleans that was actually put down by General Longstreet. Longstreet became a Republican after the Civil War. And actually, it's why a lot of Southerners hate him. And he actually helped put down a coup in Louisiana. But yeah, Wilmington was definitely something that people need to remember because it's a fucking coup that happened on U.S. soil. I mean, yeah, I never heard about this event or even the Haymarket Affair until we started looking them up for this podcast. I think the common thread, too, is between Haymarket and, and this, they're blaming the people who did not instigate for instigating. And that's still a very common tactic. So in Wilmington, they blamed blacks until the historical narrative very, very clearly put that myth to rest. And in Haymarket, that myth still has not been put to rest. But we can tell, at least from the historical canon, that it's stilted at best. And, you know, even now we look at any any of the quote unquote violence that happens during Antifa or BLM and everyone's very quick to say that it's Antifa or BLM and not even look into like, okay, well, if Pinkertons existed back then, surely there are some things like that now. Yeah, just the amount of evidence we have of undercover police, even since uh, Occupy Wall Street, I've seen photos of, you can tell, like they show the police boots on these people who are starting the riot, who are starting the vandalism, basically. And they are purposely put into these crowds to get this stuff started. And then that gives the police that are obviously trying to kettle these protesters an excuse to react with even more violence. And it sets this whole thing off. And it's a known tactic. Like, this is not hard to find. And you can see just exactly the same narrative playing out now that Trumpers are trying to say that all the people who raided the Capitol yesterday were Antifa in disguise as Trumpers. And it's obviously just so ridiculous. Like, no one is taking it seriously other than them. And I'm glad to see that even like the liberal news stations are not even entertaining that narrative, uh, which is nice. But still, they're still not going far enough, as liberals tend to do. Like the narrative on the mainstream media seems to me to be that the police failed yesterday. They keep saying over and over again, there was a failure of organizing. There was some kind of uh, lack of leadership. There was some kind of like a misstep, like it was just a mistake. And it's like, no, it's pretty clear what was going on. This, it's pretty clear that the police were complicit in this, that they allowed this to happen. Like you said, Ward, there was video of them opening the barricades for these people and letting them through. Oh. I mean, that's gone viral at this point. But I do think that that's probably one of the only upsides about this whole thing is that people are now seeing firsthand the difference in tactics from the law enforcement when it comes to BLM and Antifa versus white nationalist fascists. Yeah, I can honestly say I, I watched a lot of news coverage that day. I was at work, so I had nothing to do with watch that. But um, not not one major news station mentioned the fact that the police held the door open, that they took selfies with these people. Not one mentioned that. Uh, now you go to independent news and that's all they're talking about. You know, they're like, hey, the police were 100 percent complicit in this. That's a narrative that's not being broadcast on major news network. One of the thing that just to kind of go even further on his point, the news makes a point to highlight what's wrong is the fact that people are, you know, storming the Capitol and that windows are being broken. That's the crime. They don't even go to the point of really going into detail of what they're trying to accomplish, even on the right side, even the, you know, quote unquote, left media or liberal media that is supposed to be against the objectives of this, these right-wing extremists, they're there because their goal is to basically take hostages. I mean, you saw the pictures of the guys with, you know, industrial zip ties. Yeah. They were hoping to get a hold of a few congressmen and women, zip tie them up, and basically make some demands. Did you hear that statement anywhere 
own no. quote unquote le- left media. Of course not, because they want it to be that the crime is showing up to the Capitol. It's breaking windows. It's pushing through barricades, not what the actual real crime is that they were there to take literal government employees hostage. And people in the media. They wanted to kidnap reporters because they now consider all media to be their enemy, yeah. e- even Fox News. Anybody but OAN and uh, Max, what is it, um, Newsmax? Yeah, Newsmax. They consider them to be their enemies. So they were trying to, I, I saw a video of these people outwardly saying that they wanted to kidnap people in the media and kill them, like take them hostage, do whatever violence they could to them. And you would think that that would be a common narrative in the media. Like they tend to sympathize with other journalists. I know that the Jamal Khashoggi thing was a really big deal when that happened because he was a journalist. That kind of thing usually doesn't get a lot of airplay. Like when Saudi Arabia commits an atrocity, you don't really hear about it so much in America, but Jamal Khashoggi was the difference there. Yeah, I'm really surprised that that isn't being picked up, but it's out there. I mean, you can definitely find the video of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like uh, you can see like in a few pictures, like they wrote on a door, like murder the media and like they're burning like news equipment. Holy shit. I didn't even see that. Yet they want to circle back. So next time we have a Black Lives Matter protest and windows get broken and barricades get pushed through that they could say, oh, well, they're just as bad as the right. You guys were all condemning the right for doing exactly this. It's like, no, step the fuck back. Black Lives Matter is not doing the exact same thing. They're not aiming to take fucking congressmen hostage and try to basically force a president to remain in office because they don't like the results. There's a pretty big fucking difference. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's my biggest take on this entire thing is that Black Lives Matter and Antifa have a legitimate reason to protest. Like Black Lives Matter is protesting people being killed in broad daylight by police who were unarmed, who were not a threat, who were doing nothing wrong. And these people are protesting because they are sore losers, because their guy didn't win an election. That is the difference. And that, you know, we shouldn't even be comparing these at all. Yeah, no, I was going to say the exact same thing. Like the reason you protest or the reason why you're doing something is the most important thing. And that's exactly what set BLM protests aside from what happened yesterday. Like that, the whataboutism, the comparisons, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we can't even, nobody should even be expecting these people to have any consistent principles at this point. Like if you were arguing with any kind of Trump supporter or a right winger at all, and you think that they are arguing with facts or logic or have any kind of principles whatsoever, the mistake is on you now. Like that is your fault at this point. Like you cannot counter these people with conversations anymore. We are past that point. They just need to be silenced by any means necessary at this point. I just think it's funny that you can't get these people to wear a mask for any fucking thing. Uh-huh. Oh my God, like, like, no, no shit. No pandemic. <laughs> and it's just like, you can tell who has never been to them? a protest before because they're like, they got their whole ass face out. They're like smiling for the camera and shit. And I'm Wearing like, their oh, badge what is their wrong neck? with you? I'm Jesus like, you have your Christ. fucking work badge on you and shit. Like, what? So like their you name, where they're already. from. Like, the, the girl yeah, who got maced, and she's like, I'm oh. such and such from Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? What's up, Tom? Listen, they, what, what you guys don't understand is there's a reason for that. It's because these people do not fear retaliation. These people do not be, fear yeah. the police. They, 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 are the, they are the police. They are the state. Like these people do not fear any repercussions. They and there and nothing's Thanks. probably going to happen to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone made the statement, and they were like, uh, "They're shooting at us. The, why are they shooting at us? They're supposed to shoot at Black Lives Matter. We're the yep, we're the patriots." That. And I'm oh like, "Oh my god, that, that's them in a fucking nutshell, man." Yeah, they're saying the quiet part out loud, man. Yeah, yeah and you had the really congresswoman. Holy fuck. 
you, you had a congresswoman last night at one of the rallies afterwards fucking quote unquote Hitler had one thing right yeah and, oh my and god when, that was yeah. horrific Oh, Let's see. That's already that's been present for a while. Even Candace Owens was saying shit like that just a couple of yeah, years but she ago. She wasn't in Congress. No, she's <laughs> not. But she already she sowed that seed of like this is appropriate. Yeah, yeah. you True. know. All right. This so I, I don't get people the... like some of them died. Like, and I laugh at the fact that how they died is hysterical. Like, fuck them. Oh yeah. What were the? Because I obviously the one woman died because she got shot by the uh, the Capitol Police. But what were the other three people that died? Uh, one dude uh, was trying to take a painting. And he tased himself, and he slipped. Up, he, I guess he pissed himself. And he slipped <laughs> in the head. I shit you not. And then uh, oh, I love on, it. I have him in a, I love I have him in a message. Hold on. Fantastic. Was, oh, <laughs> oh my god, I love brilliant. it. Okay, he, so one guy. That's how I want to go out, like <laughs> straight there, up. There you go. The first guy, like I said, tased himself trying to steal a painting. Slipped in the resulting puddle of piss, struck his head on the way down. Oh my god! Second person died, oh, of, a heart, yes. died, of, a, died of a heart attack when a flashbang went off. And then the third one, a patriot, fell from the top of the Capitol steps. <laughs> just the steps. I don't even know what to just say the fucking that. steps, oh like not the roof. I think, the, I think the best thing was like seeing them climb over the wall, and it's just like right wingers just go ahead and. Dispel their own myth oh. about like a wall being able to stop Mexico. Right. Not to mention like the like, five thousand people that got COVID that day. So yeah. Oh my god. Oh. All right. So I want to get Cosper in on this. I know Cosper, you were the only one who really prepared to talk about uh, the events that happened yesterday. It seems like we do have enough time to get into all of that. So uh, let me hand it over to you and see what you got for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the main thing I wanted to start with was getting into the ideological headspace within what we saw on the six. You know, like, fucking, why did we see this? What does it mean? What does it imply? What have you? Uh, I think that the first thing that I want to talk about is really the, uh, the media coverage on this, like, not being us. You know what I mean? Every MSNBC, NBC, what have you, everyone is covering this from a standpoint of this not being us. Which as is America, You know, the fact that Trump made us into a banana republic and all this, not only being racist in itself, but also just being, like factually wrong even from the ideological standpoint which they're operating from now to preface this this is incorrect as i'm going to say but the ideological standpoint of how we typically view america is as a rebellion in itself against unrightful taxes what have you you know this form of patriotism at which these people are quote-unquote fighting for so this would be almost the perfect exemplification of what america is is take the fight to your government what have you so what the fuck on top of that, God, I love the take of the Republicans also abandoning every single one of their constituents when they're voting against, like, authorizing the Electoral College votes. I think it was 23 before these riots happened, and now I think it dropped down to six. Ted Cruz being one of them, the fucking maniac himself. I love that motherfucker. <laughs> but yeah, can you imagine, like, the, the people that are actually out here doing praxis for you, these patriots? going out here and actually risking their lives and then you just turning your back on them and abandoning them after it's instigating beautiful. and basically propping up the type of ideological framework to make something like this necessary to then have the fucking honestly balls to say no fuck you i'm out now that you've pointed guns at me came to my house and showed me the seeds that i'm sowing right that's interesting to me or even worse call them antifa <laughs> now you've, oh got, you've pushed God. them so far they've become the enemy right god 
Yeah, a lot of these this mental gymnastics that they were doing to switch and say, oh, hey, it was actually Antifa didn't happen until a lot of people started rescinding. These senators started rescinding them contesting the vote. A lot of this didn't happen until Trump was like, OK, you know, he gave that shitty speech, you know, you know, go home, everybody. You know, we did it more reason we came. But they were like, oh, OK, oh, yeah, it really wasn't us. It was actually Antifa that was doing it. In typical Trump fashion, of course, he had to not only say, like, go home, but also we love you. And you're also protesting for all the right reasons because this election absolutely was stolen. So I totally understand why you guys are yep. here. But also wink, nod, don't do it. Nudge, nudge. You're beautiful. You're very special. Stand back and stand by. No, he uh, literally held a rally, like, I think it was hours before the event, talking about, we're going to walk up Pennsylvania Avenue. Like yeah. 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 He and said then Giuliani with the uh, trial by combat thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which I <God>. support. <laughs> no, I think uh, another interesting thing to analyze here is a symbolic deadlock that these people are engaged within, within this ideological framework. Because a lot of these people have rightly found contradictions within the system that they operate in, admittedly. Like, honestly, these people who say like, okay, there's an abuse of power, there's something wrong, my material conditions don't match like how they should. Because I work, a lot of these people aren't well off, admittedly. You know, yeah. these are the kind of people that work five to seven days a week and are rugged individualists, but they don't identify why they do such, which creates this false identification of their material conditions with the way they are, and also a denial that their conditions are even bad to an extent, which is, that's the symbolic deadlock that they're operating within, which creates these ruptures within the contradiction itself. The problem becomes, what are the contradictions they're recognizing's root? And that's where they falsely get it is this false identification of it being the fucking Jews or being a pedophile yeah. ring running the entire country or something like that. Yeah, I just wanted to say real quick, like, that's something that I tend to harp on a lot because that's probably my, if I had like a main goal, it would be to get people to realize that they are Marxists already and they just don't realize it because they've been brainwashed into thinking that that's such a terrible thing. Yes. Like right-wingers, and we talk about this a lot, like they have a good premise to start with. They have this premise that they are being screwed by the elites and then they make all the wrong conclusions based on that. And I wish we could just reach them somehow. I wish that's something that we could do. It's very difficult to do, but I mean, that is the reason I shitpost memes on Instagram all day. That is the reason I started a podcast, not just so I can hear the sound of my own voice, even though I love it so much. It's because I want to convince people that you are probably already a leftist and you just don't realize it yet because you've been brainwashed by decades of Cold War and Red Scare propaganda. And if you just realize that communism is not some boogeyman that wants to take away your toothbrush and enslave you and kill God, it's freedom. It is freedom for workers. It is just something that will liberate the working classes and it is workers' rights over everything else. And that's all it is. That's all we want to do is give workers the means of production. We want to have true democracy and we want to liberate workers. You have nothing to lose but your chains. That's really all it comes down to. Yeah. You're damn sure not a capital if you don't have fucking capital. Yeah, where's your fucking factory, capitalist? Yeah. The thing I wanted to add on to that, if I could, is that ideologically, you are closer to reaching conservatives than you are liberals at this point. Because there's just such a reliance and almost an investment with the system in itself and this false sense of democracy that liberals uphold. Like this is what we saw on the 6th was the liberal 9-11, literally. The one that yeah. they've been looking for for all of eternity. Like this <laughs> is their holy temple, this is their church, and it's being desanctified by these people. 
for like for a conservative, <laughs> there's this recognition ideologically that the framework is broken, but the the target at which you aim your arrow is not correct for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How many AIDS do you think got fucking COVID from that shit? <laughs> I bet they did. But I mean oh, what I mean solidified this the fucking liberal equation for this being their 9-11 is I don't know if y'all saw Chuck Schumer get on right when Congress resumed. He said this is the equivalent to December 7th, basically. Oh, that was he so fucking cringe, dude. This. Yeah, it, it, fucking scumbag, dude. Compared to it, basically exactly like this is the modern version of Pearl Harbor, which is a very short list of things that are so integral to the way that America has been affected. And then followed it up with an immediate fucking FDR quote, calling these things calling these people thugs and this is such a dark day but if y'all remember back on the reagan episode we did when i talked about the trump myth or the dream this is what i meant by it continues on even if he concedes even if he whatever loses what have you this has already been sown it is already implanted and now this is actualization of it it's the continuation of that thought process being put into action i firmly firmly agree with you on that this isn't going away trump has a base a huge base, a lot of the country. And all it takes is just somebody with half a brain, more than what Trump has, to weaponize that. And I feel like that's coming in 2024 because I don't see Democrats doing anything special. I don't see them doing anything remarkable to sway voters. And people are just going to get more and more pissed off. And we're going to get right back into the same situation again four years from now. Mm hmm. So, you know, one of the things I, I can't remember if it was Marx, you'll have to forgive me on that. But one of the things put forth by a lot of leftist ideologies is this sort of recognition that in order for any society to function, regardless of where on the spectrum it happens to lie, an economy will not work without a middle class. So if the middle class is not there, we can't expect the economy to be held up by five fucking billionaires. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. They don't need the amount of stuff <laughs> needed to keep an economy solvent. It's very fucking simple. Mm -hmm. So the more that we squash the middle class down... Are you suggesting three billionaires? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, so the more we squash the middle class down, the less solvent the economy is going to be, right? So this is happening in real time, okay? Unemployment is at an all-time high. Small businesses are completely fucked. The government isn't supplying any kind of stimulus to the people. They're funneling it upwards. Um, and at the same time, the stock market's at an all-time high. So, you know, we already see this cognitive dissonance between, like, the gains of the people and the gains of the aristocracy, as it were. And I think that Cosper's right. Trumpism is recognizing that something's wrong, but they won't look at it dead in the eye. They'll look at it and then look past it at something completely insane that is most likely also racist, but they won't look at, at it dead in the eye because leftist politics have been disenfranchised so much by basically everything we've been talking about the past two episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that really ties into what both Cosper and Tommy are saying is that Trump losing or Trump winning, either one was never going to change any of this because that was built into his philosophy for, for whatever that is. If he has a philosophy that was built into the myth of Trump if he wins, it's because he's victorious against the deep state. If he loses, it's because the deep state won out, but it still needs to be fought. There was never any kind of outcome that was going to change what people believe about him. And that's par for the course for fascism. You always have to be powerful, but also weak against this enemy that is powerful, but also weak. Like I said, it's not a coherent ideology. 
And like you were saying, Tommy, liberals will not fight it because they can't. Because to do that, they would have to do something that is anti-capitalist. They would have to do something like Bernie wanted to do. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Bernie was probably the only thing that could have actually done anything to stop this. But even he would have just been another FDR release valve for capitalism that would have just extended his lifespan a little further. He wasn't an anti-capitalist. He wasn't a real socialist. So all he would have done was extended his lifespan. But what we're seeing now is the failure of that to happen. So now we are in like fully in the death spiral. Like we have gone full accelerationist, whether we wanted to or not. Like anybody who thought Biden was a better choice, I can't imagine that they are listening to this podcast to begin with. I feel like anybody who's listening to us (laughs) knows that like Biden and Trump are a hair's width apart. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is liberals can't do what is necessary because it goes against their core ideology of supporting and reforming capitalism at best. It's just funny how much this operates like religion. I may butcher this a little bit, but I think it was the founder of FLDS that said before he went to jail that he was going to go to jail and it's because people were going to attack the faith. So he made this like prophecy of like, I'm going to get arrested. And then he did a bunch of fucked up shit and got arrested. And he was like, see, I got arrested and I can tell the future. It's like the same (laughs) kind of mentality where, you know, you write the prophecy out, do what's going to make it fucking happen. And then everyone's (laughs) like, oh, my God. Is FLDS, is that a version of uh, Latter-day Saints? Yes, it is. Yeah, I I believe this was Warren Jeffs, but I'm not positive. And I actually did have another question. Somebody else had another acronym I didn't recognize earlier tonight. They said like AUMH. Was that you, Cosper? I am referencing, and we can talk about that now. I don't know if I expanded on that. I'm talking about AUMF. Oh, hell. Yeah, what is that? Basically, it's a bill that was passed after after 9-11, which allowed more power into the executive branch and basically for you to categorize whatever you wanted to as an act of terrorism. Oh, cool. And I'm scared right now what this really, what we saw on the 6 means for all of this is an expansion on that, but maybe more so in a congressional way, which is how it should. It should be a congressional designation of terrorism. I think that, but I think it's going to end up as a very weird power grab that is kind of nah. fucking reactionary at the same time that is meant to reinstate power within nah, the that government. that would never happen. Consolidate more power in action to this and is very oh, yeah. detrimental to any leftist organization or activism in the future, right? Facts. Go ahead. Facts. I think you, to be, to be a terrorist, okay, you have to be dark skin, okay? You cannot be white and be a terrorist. Mm-hmm. And that's the only one. rule. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be one rule. That's it. That's, that's it. That's one rule. Only one rule. <laughs> can't, can't be a white terrorist. <laughs> well, yeah, you oh, got to wonder okay. what's, what's the, the zero sum here for like expansion of the NDAA and expansion of, of AUMF and things like that. Cause if they are lumping all violence into one corner where it's like Antifa is those crazy fuck nuts in D.C. yesterday, you know, why wouldn't they just unilaterally beef up those programs that they've been continually doing, like, you know, uh, the DHS and, of course, uh, executive powers over all of these things that cost for Yes. No, that's exactly what I'm saying is you can't just let a crisis go to fucking waste. There has to be a response yeah. to it, just like 9-11 led to the amping up of the Patriot Act and the creation of, or not amping up, the creation of. But I think this time, the significance is it'll be led by the Dems and it's going to be primarily against, like you said, this conglomerate of violence in general against the state. Yeah, Vi- Biden's first big bipartisan, and for our listeners, I'm using my air quotes right here, but Biden's first big bipartisan bill he's going to pass basically probably day one, but definitely within the first month 
is going to be huge restrictions on uh, gatherings and also huge budget increases for police, especially in D.C., yeah. but probably on a, on a federal level. I mean, th this is definitely very bad, much worse for the left than it is for the right by a long shot. Yep. I was going to say what's sad is how we did a Biden bit for one of our shows. And that's exactly what we said before this even, even happened. That's exactly what we said. <laughs> We're going to increase the police budget. We're going to make crime bill yep. 2.0. That's yep. it, man. That's it's crazy, but yeah. it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, if I could make any predictions as to what we're going to see for the next four years of a Biden term and then probably the four years after that of a Kamala term, we're not going to see any like socialist programs like we were hoping for from Bernie. We're not going to see Medicare for all. We're not going to see any of the stuff. <laughs> Is we that a would... prediction? Well, no, I'm... I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, it just seems plausible to me. I mean, Biden has already said he's not going to run for a second term. So I imagine they're just going to put up Kamala yeah, yeah. as that's just it seems like a given to me. It's just a matter of whether yeah. she beats whoever the Republicans put up. But we are not going to see any of the good stuff that we want. We're not going to see any of the things that they promised to win the Georgia races recently. We will see austerity programs because of the uh, downturn in the economy that was caused by COVID and the failure to respond to COVID in the way that any normal country would. And we are going to see, yeah, a ramping up of the anti-terrorism. And it's going to mostly target the left because we see how the police go after the right, as in they don't. So that, that's, yeah, you guys are calling it exactly. We're going to see that. Would you have Cosmer? One thing I have to say is we have to notice how what happened yesterday is a core component of what is existential to the police force in itself. You mentioned that the police was letting these people in through the gates. They were taking selfies with them. It is an existential component of the police to be on the side of these people. They are one and the same, legitimately. I, I know that seems like a, a wide, naive statement, but it needs to be said in that. And it also sounds very naive to say like, oh, if these were black, those stairs would be red. I think that is naive. And like, that's the first takeaway you have. I think the next one becomes, what does the system perpetuate? I think what we need to identify here is not that that lady got shot in the throat when she was trying to break in and say like, oh, what a horrible thing. Like, that's bad. I think what we need to recognize is that is the system. That is what is going to continue happening if we don't identify it have these conversations what have you and spread this you know that's it that is a system working as it should there's always these complications of you know the system's breaking no the system is functioning as it is intended it is an existential component of the system to function in this way and when you threaten the property of the capital in these quote-unquote sacred halls you're going to see that but you're go on sorry i was holding up there well, I was going to say that that's not even naive at all. That's just so accurate that it yeah. almost borders on cliche because I mean, maybe it's just in the leftist circles that yeah. I hang out on that I'm seeing exactly that message. But those are both dead on points. If it were black people doing this, that would have been a completely different response. And that is what the police are there to do. They obviously identify with the far right more than they identify with anybody else. So it's par for the course that they would just let these people in to, to wreak havoc. Uh, let me go with you, Jaron, because I saw you had something and then we'll go with Sterling. I really like that Cosper is talking about how, like, ideologically, even if these people are at odds with the police temporarily or hypothetically, let's say that they weren't, 
um, they're still on the same page as far as like centralized regimented authority that is to the detriment of specific people based on their their ethnicity, their religion, etc. And one thing that is consistent in leftist ideology, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because you know, you guys are more toward the off left than I am. But there is something that anarchists and, and communists do agree on is that eventually the state, quote unquote, should take on an administrative role where police and coercive punitive force is not necessary because everyone's needs are met. Mm -hmm. It's recognizing that the role of authority, the role of coercive punitive forces like police need to be phased out. That needs to be the goal of any society in terms of being progressive. We shouldn't be working towards it's progressive to have more cops, therefore more order. That's bullshit. And that's what both of them, the protesters yesterday and the cops, believe. And that's something that is ideologically consistently different between them and us, is we believe that no matter your brand of leftism, we should be meeting people's needs and then seeing what is needed as a result after that's done and keep doing that until it's gone. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal of communism and anarchy definitely land fairly similar. I mean, obviously, there are definitely differences, but ultimately, communism would not necessarily need, you know, a police force or or a military or anything like that, because like you said, the needs will be met, but that would also kind of require more of a, a global thing, because if as long as you have threats from other countries, it's pretty hard to disband a military. And I think that's one big difference between communist and anarchist is though we do have our eye on the prize and we do kind of think in terms of what communism is meant to ultimately be, we do kind of keep that one, you know, on the back burner. And I mean, especially like the more tanky of us, uh, we, we definitely... Maybe not the military as is, but we certainly want a strong military force to combat other countries that would seek to impose on what we were carrying out, I guess is the best way to put it. Surely. Just for me personally, I see the, from a theoretical standpoint, not necessarily involved Mm -hmm. in praxis is more what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is the idea that we conceptually... All real world needs aside, like protecting yourself from a violent, insane capitalist powerhouse like the United States, didn't exist. We're looking at a way to try and give people what they need on the front end so that we don't have to have this bloated militia police on the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, and I could be totally misinterpreting theory. I could be totally wrong about this, but I imagine communism as the transition to anarchism, just as I imagine socialism as the transition to communism. In in that I imagine the perfect anarchist world to be that you don't have any kind of military force, you don't have any kind of police, you don't have to have any kind of coercive forces of the state. But when you have communism, you have those because you need to fight outside capitalist forces. You need to still fight the forces of reaction that pop up because it seems inevitable that they will. But the idea would be that once you get past the point where you don't have any more people that are indoctrinated by capitalism to think that they have to be you know, selfish with their resources and they can actually function in a true anarchist you know, post-scarcity society, then you can finally get to that point. And then whether or not you want to or can do that in one country is up for debate. But um, my, I just wanted to say my favorite 
real shitty take from this whole thing is people saying, oh, I thought the left wanted to uh, defund and disband the police. What happened to that shit? And it's like, no, we just like it doesn't seem inconsistent to me at all that we would think that, you know, maybe the police should not shoot people for doing nothing uh, in their beds yeah. or just, you know, kneel on their necks out in broad daylight. But maybe should also stop people from raiding the government buildings. I don't think that's inconsistent at all to, to say that, you know, those two things should happen. Like, just stop shooting innocent people and also stop terrorists when they try to raid capital. And I'll say this. I still don't even think they should have shot, you know, our, our QAnon pilot who was trying to climb through the window. I mean, at the end of, <laughs> and, and trust yeah. me, people are making jokes and they're like, oh, you know, one QAnon down good or one fascist down. And, and I get that. Trust me. But at the end of the day, she still was an unarmed woman climbing through a window and to me that yeah. does not deserve a bullet to the throat that was extremely excessive and what's crazy absolutely batshit crazy to me is on the right yo dog y'all got one you got a martyr you got someone who died in cold blood for your cause and you're not even yeah. claiming her what are you doing they're calling her antifa and shit uh -huh. and i'm like i'm like you should be fucking wearing her t-shirt right now like they don't yeah. they have no playbook if if it was the the nah, left dude. it's like oh my god that's that's 101 they got caitlin dog. bennett caitlin bennett pants. <laughs> One thing they did say on the video when you can hear it when she gets shot is we do have our George Floyd now. Somebody said that? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I saw where they were um, They were trying to make her out to be like Robert Paulson from fucking... Um, Fight Club? Yeah, on Parlor, they were calling her like uh, some what would be like the, the fan version of Robert Paulson. I'm just like... Oh, that's so cringe, dude. That's what they're yeah, saying. But they should be. They should be making it a bigger deal. Fox News should have her everywhere. I mean, I'm just saying, like, that. that is straight up 101. If, if it was on the left and we had someone dying in cold blood for our cause unarmed, dude, we'd be fucking raising her up. Can I just say how par for the course that is for the right to reference a movie from 20 years ago that is all about the loss <laughs> of white privilege in like modern society? Like oh it's just my God. It, it's so perfect. And it's just chef's kiss, ironic. Yeah, Brad Pitt's their favorite uh, actor in, in the uh, in that movie. That, oh yeah. That's the that's the best character to them. That's what they think the movie's about. <laughs> Would you have Tommy? Oh, I was gonna say all we're asking for is to be treated like I want my hand held after a nice day of riding. I want, I want you to hold my hand walk as I walk down the stairs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, is that too much to ask? Is that too much to ask? But another thing I was going to say is that um, they can't say that this lady was shot by the police, that she was an actual you know, Trump supporter, because if they admit that, then they admit that the police shot them and the police turned their back on them. Like, they can't mm -hmm. admit that. They, they can't. The police do no wrong. Despite the Trump flag that was tied around her neck as a cape. Yeah. Antifa. <laughs> All I want to see is Cosper at the front of that congressional hall at the podium wearing that hat. <laughs> the one with the buffalo horns? Yeah. I feel reminiscent of the QAnon shaman. Yeah, you. I mean, you no, guys, I'm you gonna you're like his cousin or something. Yeah, the off-brand. No, I think I'm actually more alpha than he is. I have hair still. So. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say is, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Nelson. No, no, no. In you're alpha as fuck. Okay. What I was going to say, that's the, the thing that's difficult and you have to grapple with here. is a recognition, like I said, is that in the system that we operate in, she was absolutely doing something wrong. 
You're threatening yeah. the most powerful, quote unquote, halls of the land where our democracy lies. And apparently, obviously, there's more info to come out, but that was Pence's security detail protecting him from someone running in and stuff. And that's how you neutralize a threat, basically. That's what I'm saying. Is it like the system that we operate in? That is how it plays out. And to look at that and be surprised is just a waste of time. Agreed. I don't, I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Whether or not I agree with it is a different thing. I'm not a fan of punitive force levied by the police on anyone because ultimately, fuck them. Yeah. But I'm not really sure what you expected. And, and beyond that, I guess if you did expect something different, your privilege just got you shot. Yeah. Just imagine yeah. if they had showed up and one of them had a manifesto. Because they got plenty of airtime and not just, you know, airtime like video of them riding, but they got like audio, like at any point, one of them could have busted out a list of demands or some kind of like diatribe about what they wanted for a new world government under God Emperor Trump. And they could have started reading off some of their ideals and what they wanted to happen. And they probably would have convinced a few people. I mean, that's a huge platform to have. And they just didn't even have that because they have no fucking consistent ideology. They have no real beliefs whatsoever. Would you have word? Yeah, I saw at one point they had like uh, they were playing music over the loudspeakers. They were playing Bob Marley's "Everything's Gonna Be All Right." Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a big a big Trump thing. I don't know if you guys have seen, but down here in the South, uh, there's a lot of signs everywhere in like the Trump logos. People are putting up signs that just say "It's Gonna Be All Right." So that's where that's coming from. Is that's become another saying for them? Uh, Bob Marley is rolling in his grave, man. Yeah. Rolling blunts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I did see video of a couple of dudes like smoking cigarettes while like wandering around inside the Capitol. I'm like, they're going to be telling that story for like the next 40 years. That's like the peak. Oh, there's of a girl existence. hitting a vape, a weed pin. There was a girl hitting oh, yeah, a weed pin in uh, Nancy Pelosi's chair. That was pretty sick. But like you were saying, Mike, it really is surprising. They Obviously, they didn't have to take hostages. They could have made some serious demands if they did that. But even without the hostages, why did fucking Burning Man boy QAnon Shaman not stand there at the podium and just live feed and just basically make a call to the Trump supporters or, or MAGA heads? Like, have you, ever, have you ever heard him speak? No, I haven't. Dude, he's got a lot of videos online. There was a lot of live footage of this dude, and it is batshit insane. Like, this guy is on another level of insanity. Like, he just goes into, like, higher levels of existence. Like, it's some weird, like, Buddha slash anti-vax, like, wine mom kind of shit. Oh like, he is God. all over the place, man. Yeah, it definitely would not have been coherent. I'll put it that way. Would you have, Nelson? I think that, like, I think Tommy, I think Tommy was the one who said it, but it goes back to, like, them not understanding, like, accountability and repercussions for their actions. I really think for them, this was like some sort of like, I know people like to shit on the left, like with a bunch of LARPers and whatnot, especially part of gun clubs and stuff like that, or like people that fetishized revolution. But like, I really think that like, this was like an, a LARPing thing for them. It seems like, like you said, there was no manifesto. They didn't get in front of a microphone and be like, they didn't do like some red brigade shit where they actually did kidnap a fucking politician and read out some demands and then put a bullet in his head when, you know, they, it didn't happen. But yeah. like, I really think that that lady who got shot busting down the door, I really think in her mind, probably before the bullet went through her head, was nothing bad's going to happen to me. I'm doing the right thing. Like, I'm a good guy in all this. Not understanding that this is a, a fascist fucking LARPing event. 
I think these people are just fucking insane. And I, I don't want to cause like an ideological shitstorm. And I know that this book is very controversial in leftist spaces, but it really just does go back to fucking settlers. Like I know that they, I've, I'm about halfway through it and I know that he makes like some pretty crazy claims, but like reading about other stuff in Southern politics from other political scientists, like this whole mentality of like these people whether you want to call them quote unquote white working class, which I don't really think they are. I think a lot of them are middle class, uh, probably petite bourgeoisie business owners, like retired people that collect dividends off their stocks. I think that if there are like some sort of working class, quote unquote, people that punch a clock, they're probably the managerial class. But like this group of like, they're never going to see themselves as like displaced proletariats. They're always going to see themselves as, you know, I could be Jeff Bezos if the government wasn't doing whatever. I don't fucking know in their head what they fucking think. But like it's going all the way back to the beginning of what we're talking about at Wilmington is like what you have to understand is like the people who the redeemers, like the people who form these coalitions with black Republicans, right? The white Republicans in North Carolina and other southern states that form these coalitions with black people who are now allowed to vote. Once Jim Crow was established, these fucking people were like, all right, cool. I'm white. I mean, the system protects me. Fuck you. Like time and time and time again, that happened. Even there's a prominent populist politician in Alabama, Ruben Cove, that was his name. The racist Democrats stole the election from this guy. He won. But in the black belt, they stuffed the ballot boxes and intimidated people. And he lost the governorship. And he was a populist, but he was not like by any means like a John Brown type character that believed in equality of the races. And after Jim Crow was established, after the Southern states write their Jim Crow constitutions, the Reconstruction ends, the Dixiecrats take power, all these people who were at one time like siding with black people in this in these fusion governments just in ways switched sides and became Dixiecrats. So this idea that like these Trump supporters are going to somehow be like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm wrong. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I really am tired of dealing with them to the point where I'm just like, fuck them. Like, I really just (laughs) I, I, I don't know what to say. Like, it's just I really think that until like there is a movement, a movement with an ideology that is inclusive to the point where they say like, hey, we're going to have to break down this concept of whiteness and you're going to have to listen to people of color and black and indigenous people who are leading the movement. Like, it's just not going to happen. And it's this time and time again that these people either betray movements or they side with capital and they side with the police and they side with the state, the capitalist state. It's just a cycle that just keeps repeating itself. And it's just nauseating. Yeah, this is a concept we kind of touched on the last couple episodes um, when we were talking about Thatcher. Jaron brought it up and, you know, I was tagging along with him talking about the idea that identity politics may be intentionally inserted into the debates by people like the CIA or whatever intelligence forces may be inserting themselves in these conversations. And I kind of see the validity in that because it seems to me that what we are missing now is the countering force to white nationalism. And I think that like we were talking about earlier with Malcolm X and having a violent protest to go and back up the peaceful protest of somebody like MLK, like that was a major turning point for me when I was looking up the civil rights era and I found out that MLK and Gandhi were not the only people who were you know, around at that time and Malcolm X was a big driving force. And even things that were happening in the Vietnam War, like soldiers fragging their officers intentionally because they were protesting the war itself. You know, if you don't have some kind of violence to back up what you're saying, you will easily be ignored by the state. You know, they will just continue to do what they're doing. And I think, you know, it may be controversial to say, but like maybe what we need is black nationalism and indigenous nationalism and other forms of nationalism to counteract the white nationalism. Because white nationalism is alive and well. 
And they have a movement. They have arms. They are perfectly willing to storm the Capitol, as we can see. And maybe we just need other movements that are countering that. And then maybe an entire separate movement of people who are willing to just work together among different races and identities. But maybe we also need movements of like LGBT nationalism. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's what we need. It's just several different nationalist movements that are militant and armed and ready to fight and do whatever they need to do just to counteract what we have already. Because it seems that white nationalism is perfectly fine with the state or the state is perfectly fine with white nationalism existing and doing what they do because we see how they respond to it, which is at best doing nothing, but, you know, complicit from what we can see. Would you have, Stephen? Yeah, I wanted to build on what you and Nelson were saying uh, because I, I think... We do make some comments like what he said about uh, conservatives think that they may one day be able to become like a Jeff Bezos, which is real easy to make those comments. And to a degree, that's not wrong. Like some of them really fucking believe that nonsense. But I think we can actually uh, shrink that down to a way that not only is is much more accurate, but it's actually possible because the, the real truth of it is, and especially down here in the South, you know, I've got a lot of family members that are small business owners and <laughs> extremely far right, you know, and anti-immigration and all that, but they'll still go hire, you know, what they call illegal uh, immigrants for their companies all day long. And th and I think that's the big difference is it's not really as far as they think they may one day become Jeff Bezos. They may think that, but they more importantly think that they may be able to, within a very short period of time, find themselves a handful of illegal uh, working people and throw them on top of a roof and basically make money for not doing shit but managing it. Go ahead, Nelson. No, I totally get what you're saying. I think it goes back to what mm -hmm. we said in the last episode, Trotsky, love him, I hate him, but like when he wrote what is fascism and how to fight it, like he hit the nail on the head that fascism is a middle class, like petite bourgeoisie ideology. Yeah. And that when the when the petite bourgeoisie, the merchant class, the, the middle class, whatever you want to call it, feel threatened, they will side with people that definitely don't have their interest when it comes to big capital, right? Yeah. So when they feel threatened by any left movement, they're going to like take a restaurant owner, for example, like a, a mom and pop restaurant owner thing, whatever. He may like come in an expo or may like have to work or even like stay around and, and help out or do whatever. But at the end of the day, he's not seeing himself as a worker, right? He's petite bourgeoisie. Yeah. So like once any sort of like union tries to come in or any sort of left wing ideology, even universal healthcare, I, which I have no idea why any small business owner would be against universal healthcare because it takes the burden of healthcare off them, maybe yeah. to the state. But when a left-wing movement comes in, they fear loss of power. That, I think, is the essence of how fascism gets its strength, is a fear of losing power. And in America, that is the fear that whiteness will lose its power. That, like, mm -hmm. holy shit, I'm going to have to be treated like we've treated Black people for 600 years or like we've yeah. treated indigenous people since the founding of the country right and that to them is absolutely fucking horrifying because they know in the back of their mind they treat them like shit so yeah. it's this fear of a loss of power and i really think that's the root of where fashion gets its strength and i think it all definitely comes from the petite bourgeoisie yeah and it, it's very real power and it's very reachable at a fairly small level like i said most anyone can go out and find some illegal immigrants and put them to work and start making a profit on them for basically doing nothing but extorting their labor. And that is that is something that if you live in America and 
you have the ability to do that, you're given that. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to dive any deeper. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It really is just a, a petty bourgeoisie. Yeah, no, that's a good point. What'd you have, Jaron? Just the extension of the liberal vanguard of all of this, which, in my opinion, would be, you know, the petit bourgeoisie, as we're calling it, operates still on this idea that money, the acquisition of money, currency, capital, whatever you choose to call it, whether you're in the school of thought of Milton Friedman or Karl Marx, it doesn't matter, is there's this perception that the meritocracy behind having money means that you deserved it. So whether or not you believe that you're going to be the next Jeff Bezos or not, you believe if you are a liberal American or a conservative American that for some reason he deserves that amount of money and that he worked hard enough to have the license to that amount of money, forgetting completely that money is not something that should have a meritocratic basis, forgetting that money is simply a tool by which we exchange with each other. And that is the entire purpose of it. It's not the entire purpose of liquidity is not to amass it, it's to exchange with others. There's a phenomenal book on this actually by David Graeber, my like unofficial mentor called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And it illustrates really well how this concept that we've at first came up with just to exchange goods more freely has mutated and become this thing that ultimately only designates hierarchy and nothing else. And to me, that's truly disgusting. And it's something that, that is one of the primary differences to me between looking through the eyes of a leftist and looking through the eyes of someone who would sympathize with fascism. And that does include liberals, is on some level, they believe that wealth is unquestionably deserved. And to me, that is beyond a fallacy. It's downright offensive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is know a rich person to see for yourself that that is not the case. Like if you know any rich people in your personal life, and I mean nine times out of 10, their parents were rich and that's why they're in the position that they're in. Not because they worked so hard, it's because they got lucky. It's by circumstances of birth. And that is really what it comes down to. And having known several rich people in my life, the people who I've known in my life who were moral, who were upstanding citizens, were not rich people. All the rich people I knew were assholes, dude. Like every single one without fail. The only person I met who was rich and was somewhat close to being an upstanding good citizen was someone who started off poor. Like they actually did get really lucky. And even the way they made their money was still completely unethical. Like they were making money off of health insurance and just screwing people. But they still, you know, at least recognized some aspects of what they were doing and were at least somewhat cognizant of their position of privilege and were nice to people on a personal level. But that doesn't really count for much when you're doing atrocities to people on a daily basis by the thousand. But, um, I did want to start, we could start wrapping it up, I believe. I just wanted to make sure that nobody else had any other talking points they wanted to get to. Did we get through everything that you wanted to get to, Cosper? Uh, more or less for tonight. I mean, what do All you right. guys think the implications of these events are? Well, that's the only other thing I could um, try to do is if everybody could try to think, maybe if you have anything that you could add to put a cap on this and then tie it all into what we started the episode talking about, which is why anti-fascists are not the real fascists. And if I was going to try to sum that up, I would talk about the difference between what we have seen anti-fascists doing over the last four years. And they have been protesting crimes against minorities. They've been protesting the border camps. They've been protesting the obvious racism in the administration that we've seen over the last four years. And then the people who are the fascists, very obviously, they are protesting their guy lost. Their guy lost a fair election. You know, whatever counts as a fair election in this country that is already undemocratic as it is, they're just whining. They are just sore losers. And whereas we had 
a real grassroots movement that was nationwide and it was in every major city and it went on for months and months and months. And it was based on atrocities that were being committed against people of color, against marginalized people. You know, these people had one day where they had their time to do their fantasy. Like everybody on the right talks about the Boogaloo. They talk about 1776 part two. (laughs) And they had their four hours where they marched on the Capitol building and tried to assault some politicians. And what did they get out of that? Nothing. They had the microphone. They had the floor. They could have said what they wanted to say. And they had nothing to offer because they don't actually have any consistent, coherent ideology. And that should be what the big takeaway is from all of this, is that we have a consistent ideology. We have a consistent message. We want power to the workers. We want power to the marginalized people and all the working classes. And these people just want to uphold the system as it is. And that's why they had nothing to say, because they just want their daddy back in power. And (laughs) that's all they care about. Like they're just it's just a big team sport for them. Uh, let me go with you, Cosper, and then if anybody else has anything, please chime in. I just wanted to add on to that and say is what's even more hilarious about this is it's the false identification of where the real power in this country lies. All these politicians do is disperse the power throughout the nation. The real power lies within the corporations that control these politicians. So the advance on the capital was not only that of an ideological mistake, but also a misidentification. Yeah, I mean, what were they going to do? Like march on the capital and say, we want tax reform? So these companies are actually paying their fair share and then we can all reap the benefits of the amounts of profit that are being created in this country every day that we're just not seeing. Like they would, that would never even occur to them because they uphold the system and they worship billionaires. They lick the ground that they walk on. What'd you have Sterling? I was just going to say, I honestly think that they probably did have some plans and I think they got scared. I think they pussied out. I think they got in there uh, planning on honestly taking some hostages and shit started feeling really goddamn real and all of a sudden all these civil war part two motherfuckers were just like maybe i'm not really about this <laughs> they put the tears you, in tear gas what i what i thought they were gonna do was get a hold of those boxes with all the ballots in them and set them on fire and do like pull some like you know proving mouse fucking like burn the ballot to start fucking can't prove it I don't now know. I, I, I was like, come on, you know, there's like a number of things you can do. I mean, obviously it's a disorganized mess, but I'm just like, it's like, no, come there, on. There was an aide who rescued the ballots. Oh, really? Sick. See, that, oh, that yeah. first thing gets that, was like, that was the first thing she did, was she grabbed like the three ballot boxes and hauled ass out of there. Damn. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, that would like, if they actually had like a plan, they would have been like, all right, these people are going to go here and do that. These people are going to go yeah. here and do that. These- That's why you need a Vanguard. Why you need a Vanguard. Exactly. Yeah. What's up, Jerry? All right, so bear with me. Uh, oh god I'm trying to go down the conspiracy train here, oh okay? god but what if what if they let those dumb bitches onto the stand because they knew that they weren't going to make any kind of like ideologically consistent video or any video at all but compared to like something like antifa or leftist rhetoric there is no fucking way they would let somebody like me or any of you guys get up there because we would absolutely make that video. Ooh, yeah. and it would absolutely oh, yeah. make sense. Yep. And it would absolutely have some sort of impact. Like the, the fact that they give these people a free pass, I don't really find it coincidental because they were like, oh, they're half retarded. You know, if you actually got somebody up there from Antifa, like an actual legit decentralized organizer with a fucking message, then everybody watching would be like, holy shit. Even if you're not a leftist, if you listen to it for like fucking three minutes, you'd be like, huh, this actually makes some sense. They're scared of that ideology that embodies Antifa and the fact that it's decentralized. It's a fucking Hydra. 
So like the fact that they're treating it differently is not surprising to me. The people who died were crisis actors. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) Sandy Hook. She didn't die. She's a crisis actor. I saw her (laughs) at Charlottesville and I saw her. (laughs) I see. In Minneapolis. That's something that I really found crazy about Uh, these people saying that Antifa was there and Antifa were the ones that really stormed the Capitol. I'm like, motherfucker, if Antifa, quote unquote, stormed the Capitol and actually got on the floor, motherfucker, your kids would be reading Marx in class today. Yeah, dude. Another thing that like totally got blown over was like the Proud Boys saying that they were like pretend to be Antifa and cause a bunch of problems like openly on Parlor. We're just like, yeah. hey, everyone, we're going to wear all black and pretend to be Antifa. And then, like, Antifa, you won't know that we're Proud Boys. because We have the screenshots. Yeah. yeah. Look, at the very well, least, one of us would have gotten up there and bored everyone to death with theory. Yeah. Like, I could, <laughs> just talked everyone's <laughs> ear off until they, like, fucking turned their TV off. Something someone, would have happened. This might- someone said to me on Twitter, is like, well, don't you think that, like, if it was, like, 70% white communists storming there, that the cops would have done the same thing? It was like, first off, one, this is unrealistic, because if you could find 70% white like leftists to fucking agree on anything <laughs> that's the vanguard <laughs> so no degree no, not that many people are gonna agree on shit it'll be like, like that you get to the capital doors back like, infighting and being like did you know that stalin fucked up the spanish which is not fucking true by the way that is not true (laughs) (laughs) exactly i think we just split this is the sixth international you go to the house floor ultra the old tankies over here on the senate floor (laughs) i just wish these guys would have done something like of significance you know like a real value like why didn't they like try to come on nancy pelosi's chair or something (laughs) you mean like jack off and come on it or yes oh literally okay Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Something emblematic of real power. Mike would have. Mike definitely would have. (laughs) That's what I'm good at, man. I'm good for that. Is jacking off to Nancy Pelosi. That's what Mike's known for. Listen, I I think the most obvious reason that this wasn't Antifa or BLM is that George Soros knew nothing about it. He wasn't aware. Yeah, no, I, I haven't got check. paid at all for this. Nope. So yeah. true. Yeah. So true. I didn't see a single pair of Doc Martens there. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. All right. I think we can wrap it up there unless anybody has anything else they want to add. Well, I was going to say, we I'm, didn't even mention the bombs. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. That is actually <laughs> absolutely hell. an aspect we should probably mention. <laughs> like, there are fucking bombs. There was three identified, oh. correct? Yeah, there's yeah. three. That's crazy. One of, the Capitol, one of the RNC and one of the DNC. And how many oh, news medias are talking about that? Not a lot. None. No, Not that really. blew over as high as the Nashville bomber. Right. Yeah, it got. Here, MSNBC talking about how like DC's strict gun laws like kept blah blah blah, and it's like, oh lord, no, this is exactly what they're going to do. They're going to try and like push restrictor gun control at a federal level because of this shit. Oh, of course. I'm going to say, oh, that's great. That's honestly, yeah. that's the takeaway from this, I think, is it, it demobilizes more activism. And this only ends up hurting the left. First thing Biden's going to do in office is probably push for stricter gun laws and fund the police more, like y'all are saying. Yeah. So glad I got my AK. So I guess we can, uh, let's finally wrap it up there. We can start doing the plugs then. 
Obviously, we're going to plug the Dixieland of the Proletariat podcast. They are on all the podcast platforms. If you have any podcast app, just search them out and you will get the Dixieland of the Proletariat podcast. And then check them out on Facebook, Dixieland of the Proletariat. I think that's your biggest platform, correct? Yeah. And then uh, check them out on Instagram. They are Dixie Prol. And they even have a subreddit. They are r slash Dixie Prol. And then we'll plug Cosper's Twitch. That is twitch.tv slash C-O-S-P-E-R underscore. And then uh, Jaron Perlman, J-A-R-O-N-P-E-A-R-L-M-A-N.com. Sterling, of course, is running the Twitter for Turn Leftist. That's Twitter slash Turn Leftist Pod. And then Ward Lolly, that's W-A-R-D-L-A-W-L-E-Y on Instagram. Do we have a parlor or a D-Live yet? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the Facebook, by the way, is uh, facebook.com slash Turn Leftist Pod, I believe. <laughs> Tommy eats, sleeps, and breathes gaming, so don't sleep on Tommy. Tommy was actually... Uh, what were you talking about? Like number one in the world at Gears of War, like back in the day? Top five, but I don't brag. Holy shit. <laughs> but eventually, so do you have, hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, let us know. I mean, if there's some kind of gamer tag we can find you on, I'll plug it right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, on, um, I'm on both Xbox and PlayStation. Uh, gamer tag is Euthanasia, uh, Y-0-U-T-H-E-N-A-S-1-A. Spaces on Xbox underscores on PlayStation. Nice. Cool. Yeah, so go ahead and play some games with Tommy. I'm sure he'll probably own yeah. you. And then, uh, he is relentless. He'll destroy you. Fucking get dumpstered. <laughs> and also, on that note, this is important. We have an official statement for Max Body Spray since somebody left a can in the Congressional Hall. <laughs> oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. That's probably the smell Ax- Fucking revolution, believe it or not. That's the smell of revolution. <laughs> Middle school locker room. They did say on Parlor um, they were going to smell like Antifa as well as dress like us. Oh, yeah. Well, Axe Axe wholly condemns yesterday's acts of violence <laughs> oh, that's uh, nice of and hated the Capitol. So just in case any of you were thinking about boycotting Axe, they're, they're cool. Thank God. If thank you're God. smell like was... Antifa, all you got to oh. do is like use dildos <laughs> and uh, use anal beads. <laughs> but but yes actually yes okay. <laughs> all right I think oh, that's uh, right. the plug um, well tris wanted us to plug the uh oh the party of communists usa right exactly yeah so it's party of communists usa i believe it's dot org uh, apparently Correct. that is the good one and uh, as always i will plug the sra that's socialist ra.org psl psl web and i'm turn leftist on instagram even though I don't really post there so much because it's shadow banned as fuck. Just check me out on Turn Leftist 1312 instead. I'll just keep posting there until I die. I think that's all we got. Thank you guys again for joining us. This was even more fun than last time. I would like to invite you guys back anytime you want. Like seriously, anytime you guys want to come back on, just... No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys. And uh, thank you everyone for listening. Please tell all your friends about the podcast. Give us some good reviews on iTunes and whatever platform you listen on. We'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Take care. See you. Ciao, comrades. See you.